YouTube, what is going on? Welcome back to the final episode of Season 1 of The H Panel. I can't believe we're here. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone watching and to all my guests for coming on to Season 1. I, it's just been, it's been such a fun ride and such a fun experience to, you know, move the conversation of mental health forward. Uh, I really appreciate every single one of you. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel for more seasons coming out very soon. I got a lot in store for you guys, and I'm very excited for you to see it. For now, though, here is Imani for episode 10 of season one. I'll see you guys soon. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I cannot complain. How are you? Same thing, man. Just quarantining. <laughs> for sure. What state are you in? I'm, I'm in Canada. Oh, yeah. How's Canada? You guys are living a nice life out there, man. Honestly, it's not bad. Uh, we're it's still snowing, which is great. Oh, that's not. Yeah, it was. There was like a snowstorm yesterday. I take the snow. If it made my government care about me, you know. <laughs> What's going on everyone? I'm Harry Potvin and welcome back for another episode of The H Panel, the show where we bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk mental health. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Imani McGee Stafford, drafted 10th in the 2016 WNBA draft by the Chicago Sky. She has also played for the Atlanta Dream and the Dallas Wings. Uh, in the most recent 2019 season, she successfully surpassed the 200 field, go field goal made mark and reached a career high 5 assists in the regular season. In her four years of professional basketball, she has experienced career highs of 16 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, and 4 blocks. Currently, she has stepped away for the next two seasons of the WNBA to pursue a law degree at the Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. Imani, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I don't even know some of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, what made you choose, choose basketball as a Sport. Wow, I can't talk today. Stuff like that. <laughs> no worries. So I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I'm from Inglewood, to be exact. And, like, my whole family plays basketball. It's, like, what we do. My mom is in the Hall of Fame for basketball. My older brother is a two-time NBA champion. Javel McGee, he plays for the Lakers. So, yeah. like, even though I did everything but sports until, like, high school, everybody kind of knew I was eventually going to get there, you know? Right. And then, like, basically my freshman year of high school, I made the lead in the school play and I also made varsity basketball and like I couldn't do both and like it was like what's gonna get me to college right and I was already 6'5 so like I wasn't gonna be like 6'5 <laughs> leading actress yeah. so I just chose basketball and it's like kind of been from there before we get too into your story I figured I'd ask you some questions about uh, both athletics and basketball in specific um, mm -hmm. because I'm clearly not a basketball player. Uh, I, I was a swimmer <laughs> growing up, so way more I exciting. Can barely to, swim, so <laughs> way more exciting to watch than swimming. I'll give you guys that. <laughs> so you you played college basketball for the University of Texas, and you were mm -hmm. the first uh, UT woman to achieve a thousand points, a thousand rebounds, and two hundred blocks. First UT player, period. Oh, really? Yeah, very, very impressive. Uh, and you averaged ten point eight points, eight point one rebounds, and two four. 2.4 blocks per game, which, if you don't know basketball stats, is very impressive. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know that some athletes have difficulty transitioning from high school athletics to university or college athletics. How did you find the transition was for you? It was kind of hard for me. Uh, like, I came into college in, like, a, tur a turbulent time in my life in general. 
Um, and I was so used to doing things by myself. So like my entire first year of college was just a lesson in like, no man is an island. You can't do this alone. And it was just like an aggressive lesson of that yeah. <laughs> my entire first year. Like even to the point of like, well, we would get in trouble like if you're late to class or late to practice or whatever the case may be. Like we would have 5 a.m. workouts. And I would do 5 a.m. workouts by myself all the time. Who cares? Whatever. I did it outside like whatever, right? And then they start, they figured that out. So they started, like, punishing the team. And I felt so bad. Oh, man. And, like, that on top of everyone yelling at me because, like, why are we here right now, right? And then on the academic side, I was always kind of a smart kid. So, like, I had no study skills whatsoever. <laughs> right. Like, at all. Yeah. And, like, I was so kind of, like... I don't want to say arrogant, but just like probably like bullheaded because I was just like, I've been doing this alone. Like, what do I need tutoring for? And like, I kind of looked at it as if like it was a sign of weakness or like I'm not smart enough mm -hmm. when it, in reality, like college is hard. Like everybody needs tutoring, especially athletes, because you have so many things pulling your like time and attention. Yeah. And like my first semester, I got a 2.7 GPA and I was like heartbroken. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Like, and so like from that point on, I was like, give me this tutor I'm going to study hall but like I just like my first year of college I really just had to learn the hard way like that it's okay to rely on people no one really warns you about the big drop in your average that you get going into college like up here I would go into uni with like an 85 average never studying I never studied once and I was like I don't need to study it's fine and then they were like, you better watch out because everyone's average drops like 10, 20%. I was like, exactly. there is no way. And it did. And I was exactly. like. Exactly. And you're like, but it's just like, it's a hard, it's a stressful environment. Like it's an entirely new thing, you know? So like, it's okay to need help and like kind of just getting that mindset of like, let's learn new things. Let's not be so like set in our ways, you know? Yeah. And then on that same note, what was the transition from college to the WNBA like? Oh, so, um. My biggest problem was, like, I had a reputation coming out of college that I was lazy, and I was. Um, <laughs> I guess in college, like, they need you to succeed, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, back then, I think they do four-year scholarships now, but I think my last year was probably the first year that started happening, you know? So, like, at the bare minimum, like, you had them. They had you for, for a year. Yeah. And they needed you to succeed for a year, right? And so, like, at the bare minimum, they're going to like make sure you're doing okay because at the end of the day like their success is like correlated to yours mm -hmm. while in the pros is like if you don't get it if you're not with it i'll replace you you know like if there isn't that kind of like dual like need or interdependence of each other yeah um, and so like changing my um my reputation to be a hard worker was like the first thing i had to do just because like people didn't want to give me opportunities right because mm -hmm. like why do i want to pay you to do this now if you're not going to work hard you're not going to take this seriously and so like that was probably the biggest thing and then like i'm a type a personality so the lack of structure was very hard for me yeah because like in college you know like your days is from like 6 a.m to 6 p.m you're mapped out while in the pros like my first year, especially, I had a coach that was very hands-off. So we practiced like an hour and a half max. And I would come in and get treatment and like lift and do whatever. But like I was pretty much home by 12. Like I probably left my house around 8.30. But I was home by 12. So like I had so much free time and so many like what do I do with yeah. this? You know what I mean? And also just like this was the first time in my career where it wasn't easy. It didn't immediately like 
I was finally putting in the work I needed to do, but I wasn't immediately seeing results. Mm -hmm. So like staying with the work, even though I wasn't immediately seeing it was something new for me. Cause like my rookie year, the first half of the season, I didn't even step on the court, like nothing, not two minutes at the end of the game, like nada. Yeah. And so like, it was hard for me cause I'm like, I'm doing everything right. Like I'm coming in and doing my extra workouts, all that stuff, but I still wasn't playing, but it gave me the work ethic I needed. Right. Because at the end of the season, I was starting in, on, in like a, on a playoff team as a rookie, you know? So just kind of that like transition and figuring out how to be self-motivated and also self-disciplined was something really hard for me. So before any sporting event, like a game, a match or a race, I know from personal experience, like there's a certain amount of stress involved beforehand, like some of that pre-competition anxiety. So which tactics have you found have worked for your pre-competition anxiety feelings? Yeah, so I actually have really bad performance anxiety and I didn't figure that out until like maybe my second or third year in the league. Because, like, it didn't make sense. Because, like, I'm like, I do all the work. I work really hard, but I'm not producing. Mm-hmm. And it's because I couldn't get my brain to shut up. Like, I would come in a game, and I'd be thinking about, like, a play from three weeks ago. And I, like, literally would be like, shut up, mind. Because my brain would just be so loud. I couldn't focus on the game. And I play better when I don't think, right? Yeah. And so, like, it took me a long time to figure out how to just calm down and, like, figure out what works for me. So, like, I read before the game. I had, like a crazy playlist that'll be like rah rah you know but I kind of just need those moments to just like <sighs> yeah you were a member of the 2010 U17 world championship team that won gold at the FIBA world championships that yeah. year um, wow that's crazy <laughs> comparing comparing that experience to that of college competitions or even WNBA games how does a global competition like that compare uh, definitely very much a pro like I actually like I didn't really enjoy USA basketball, mm-hmm. especially not at that age, because I was the youngest one on the team. It was U17, but I was 15. Oh, okay. Um, and I was the youngest one, and, like, it was just a whole new level of intensity of, like, what it required of you, and, like, at that point, basketball was fun for me. I hadn't, like, gotten to the level where it was, like, very serious, so it was kind of, like... I just didn't enjoy it as much because I didn't, I hadn't, like, reached that level, and in reality, like... Once you get to the pros, that's what it is every day, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can enjoy it because, like, you enjoy playing your sport, but at the end of the day, there's certain attachments to it that make it a certain level of seriousness, and that's kind of what USA Basketball mimics. So it was, like, a great preparation for the next level, but it also was, like, not the funnest at 15, right? Right, yeah. At 15, you want to have more fun than uh, – more play yeah. than work, I guess. Exactly. What motivated you to make the decision to pursue law school at this point in your career? So it's funny how God works because, like, my plan was to go to law school in, like, 2024. Mm -hmm. Like, I was not anywhere. I was, like, I'm very much at the ground level. Like, I took the LSAT in January, and I was, like, I'm going to take it, see how I kind of place, and, like, then kind of start making the realistic assumptions of where I can apply and kind of start that process. And I wanted to do two – I wanted to do a dual degree program. So there were – I major in, I get my JD and I also get a master's in women, gender and sexuality studies and women and sexuality studies, whatever, something in there. Mm-hmm. And there, um, and so like, those are all four year programs. So I was like, at first I was like, Oh, I can just stop going overseas and go in the off season. But realistically that's going to take like eight years. Yeah. <laughs> like school starts in August, season's not over till October. So it just wasn't actually logistically possible. But that was like my first mindset. And then, um, I went to a law school fair at USC in February because three of the, like three of like the ten schools on my list were there, 
and I wanted to like just go see and like talk to them and ask some questions and stuff and I'm that's where I was introduced to the school I'm actually going to and they told me they had a two-year accelerated program where you could go to school for two years and sit for the bar and I was like wow that's kind of perfect because then like if I do end up doing it now like I can still come back and play yeah like presumably and then everything happened with coronavirus and so it became more of a like I'm probably gonna have to get a job this summer regardless like yeah so what do I want to do and so I was kind of like man I'll just like apply and I probably applied like a week before the deadline and I'm just like if it's my time to go I'll get in and then like right before I applied is when this really started getting bad where like the NBA probably came out the NBA probably suspended their league maybe a week after I applied oh wow and it just started getting progressively worse and I was like wow and then I received I like I got in I got a scholarship um, it's not full ride, but it's still like a substantial, a substantial amount. And I'm like, well, why should I defer for something that I don't even know is happening? Mm-hmm. Right. And even if we end up paying certain players in the WNBA, my contract's not guaranteed. So it wasn't going to be me. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just made sense. Right. And so it's super exciting to be able to do this and to have like the front office and team support because like my coach and my GM were just like wow that's so great like we're so proud of you like we'll totally you'll totally have a chance to make the team if you decide to come back in two years which is rare right Mm -hmm. um so I'm excited to just like be around um groups that want me to succeed and like have these opportunities yeah it's like perfect timing for that right now that's crazy scary because like realistically I am risking not being able to play basketball again right like I'm taking two years away and granted like I'm still going to be at the rec leagues and still going to be working out but I am like risking the opportunity of being able to play in the WNBA again um but I don't know it just made sense and it like like I said it helps when you have people in powerful places that like support you and want you to do well so you've been very vocal about the the situations that you've seen yourself faced with in the past for my viewers can you give us a little insight on your story yeah so like the spark notes of my life um i was born in a group in an abusive household um i was very depressed growing up i tried to take my my life three times at the age of 17 the last time i was institutionalized um in a mental institution for the first like two three weeks of my junior year of high school things didn't immediately get better from there but um I kind of found a little bit of coping mechanisms, right? So I started writing more. Once I got to college, I, like, received the mental health resources that I couldn't, A, I was not, like, they weren't available to me before then, and two, I couldn't afford them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of when things started coming up, and I started, like, sharing my story more in depth. And, like, ever since then, like, I kind of realized, like, I believe my life purpose is to use my platform to talk about mental health and sexual violence um, and kind of show, like, realistic depictions of what that looks like. Yeah. That's awesome. How difficult was the healing process and how did you take this adversity that you faced and kind of change your mental health to the point where you're at today? Man, uh, well, like the healing process is definitely an everyday thing. Um, uh, Especially like sexual violence is something that kind of is something you just continue to work on. Um, And I have a mental illness. I'm bipolar. So for me, mental health is an everyday thing as well. I think for me, like, like after I tried to kill myself the third time and I was still here, I was just like, bruh, like, you're not running the show. (laughs) Figure it out, you know? And so, like, when I turned, like, 18, 19 and I started sharing my story and realizing how many people had the same experience as me or, like, a similar experience and, like, didn't have any outlets to share that experience or... I'd never seen someone go through the same things they went through. Like, I realized, like, that's why I'm still here. Like, that's why I have the story, right? Like, 
obviously it'd been great to like grow up in a picket white fence house and like not have any like dark demons or anything bad happen to me but that wasn't my life and so like I feel like it's kind of a disservice to myself and what I've been through to not use my platform for the best I think I can, I guess. Mm -hmm. When you're in a position like the WNBA, like there's so many people looking up to you that are probably in similar situations. So it's huge that you're kind of opening exactly. up and using That's like really what it's about because so many people feel isolated, which like further propels the problem. Right. And then like, just as a, as a society, like we picture mental health and sexual violence, specifically very like extreme right mm -hmm. we have somebody jumping off a bridge or we have someone perfect and they're happy and nothing's wrong but in reality like we all lie on that spectrum somewhere oh yeah but when we only see a and b it's hard for us to connect to it because we don't we don't we're not a or b mm -hmm. we're like in here so like the more stories that are shared the more people that are willing to be just a little bit more vulnerable like the better we can make like more safe spaces for everybody keeping the conversation going is kind of normalizing everything which is like exactly super important because i know when i was like at my lowest i was like i'm the only person going through this exactly <laughs> which is and that's not exactly true. how you feel you're like no one in the world has ever had this happen yeah. to them. it's just me like i have to shut up because no one's gonna get it but in reality, like, so many people get it, and yeah. so many people have this same story. Yeah, I had a guest earlier in my show who came on and talked about, like, um, how she was sexually assaulted by her boyfriend at the time. And mm -hmm. one of the questions that I asked her was, um, what are some things to remember when you're dealing with someone who's been sexually abused? Ooh, that's a tough question. Wow. Um, I think, one, everybody's not going to share um, I think we often see, like me, I'm like the peak of sharing. I'm yeah. an overshare. I'm very open about my story. Um, but everybody's not going to look like me. Every victim is not going to look the same. Every story is not going to sound the same. And I think especially when you're in intimate relationships with people that have been through some type of trauma or sexual violence, you often feel as though um, it's a, a, like something against you because they can't talk to you about it or they don't want to share with you about it or Maybe they have triggers and they're not ready to talk to you or work through that with you. And in reality, like, that's their prerogative, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, it has nothing to do with you. You can love you can love them as much as you do. And still these things come up in your relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, like, the best thing that I've had is, like, I've had partners that were very willing to, if they didn't understand, ask me questions. Um, and if I couldn't answer them, if I didn't want to answer, give me the space to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but allow me to feel safe and seen with them, which I think is very important when it comes to anyone, but especially when we're dealing with people that deal with mental health issues or have been through some tort, some sort of trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely important. Like letting them know that you're there, um, to listen, but exactly. also like you're not forced to say your problem. Exactly. That's huge. What should the next steps be to try and eradicate the numbers of people affected? Man, it's about conversations. I, I think I, I think education is the biggest key to stopping rape culture and sexual violence because, like, it's crazy the statistics. Something as small as teaching children the correct anatomical name of their body parts mm -hmm. can stop sexual violence. Yeah. Because a lot of times we're scared to talk about it and our, or our kids will say like, so-and-so touched my checkbook or whatever the like colloquial phrase is. And another adult won't know that. Won't mm -hmm. understand that those words. Right. 
And it's something so small like that that can lower the rate of childhood sex- sexual abuse. And it's like so simple. And also just like being comfortable to talk about sex. Like my biggest problem with like asking it's only teaching is that we don't teach our kids what happens if that doesn't work, right? Yeah, right. Like if these things don't happen, what's the plan B? Like now they're in a situation where they're unprepared as opposed to if I've been having these conversations with the children in my life and the adults in my life for so long, now when it comes a tangible thing, I'm going to turn to the adults in my life because it's just sex. Like I've been talking to my parents about these things my whole life. So it doesn't feel like, Oh, I got to ask this question. And like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I didn't grow up in a house like that. And I remember like just hearing sex. You'd be like, <laughs> Whoa, wait, hold on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's such a like, a, Oh my God thing. And if you like kind of normalize those conversations and like when our kids do encounter these situations, they're like, Oh, I'm going to go home and talk to my dad or talk to my grandma or whatever the case may be because it's a normal thing. And like just opening those lines of communications and educating our everyone in that manner and also talking about consent because I think our parents were not living in the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as complicated, right? There wasn't all these apps. There wasn't these situations. Um, there's so many different things, right? So just understanding consent and teaching consent both to women and men um, and also just when we teach sex to boys, helping them understand that their body is valuable too. Yeah. Because when you teach sex to girls, you're like, man, don't give it away unless that, you know what I mean? But when we teach sex to boys, we tell them to go get, go get, go get. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the same like mind space when it comes to sex. So it's easy for them to get into a situation that they probably shouldn't have been in the first place because if they valued their body, they probably would have put themselves in that situation. Right. Like it's a twofold thing and like, I could go on for a year and a half over this because this is like just something I'm so passionate about. But like, I think we're, we've gotten, we're, we're making steps in the right direction. And like these conversations are important. And the more we have it, the more change we can create. Awesome. If there's a viewer watching this, um, who's kind of going through a similar situation that you experienced, what would you want them to hear? Man, it's so corny. And I hate saying it because when people used to tell me at 15, 15, it gets better. I used to be like, okay. Yeah. Big eye roll. (laughs) exactly right (laughs) but in reality like it does get better like you have to hang on you have to get through these dark times they will end um and like we'll be on the other side looking back like wow that's crazy we really went through this and you know like i always say like you gotta hang on like it won't be all dark clouds and, and sad days but it won't always be all unicorns and sunshine but the ride is worth it Mm -hmm. amazing and then finally this is more for me than anything else when you're warming up in the locker room or getting ready for a big game, I personally need, I'm in desperate need of music to motivate myself during quarantine right now to stay in shape. It's been hard. Uh, which songs are playing in your headphones to get you in the zone? Man, so like none of them are new because like, I rare, like, I don't know. I just, you have those ones that get you going. Oh yeah. All right. So Money on the Floor by Big Crit. Nice. Um Successful by Kamaya, No Church in a While, Jay Z and Kanye. Great song. I think those are the only ones I can think of, like off the top of my head. And then like Angel Hayes, Ruthless. Mm-hmm. Like it's just one of those like you got to you know. So like yes, love it. Those are my choices. <laughs> love it. And with that, Imani, we are done. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing no, your story. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and like I really appreciate the work you do. Like keep it. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, and to all my viewers, I will see you next time.
Thank you for watching another episode of the H Panel. I really appreciate you guys. For more episodes of the H Panel, click this button right here. And if you want to subscribe for more videos from myself, subscribe is right down below. Thanks, guys.